You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I'm your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about the first season of Stargirl. But before we do that, just a few notes. As far as my herniated disc goes, things are sort of on a knife edge. There are days where I am in pain. I have difficulty standing up straight. I have difficulty sitting down in certain places, depending on the type of seats and how the backing is and how I can position myself and how low it is to the floor and yada, yada, yada. But other days that will vary and whatever. So it's still going to be a while to see whether I can get any kind of long-term relief. But at least for now, I'm still able to move on with editing podcasts. I'm still able to record and do all of that. So definitely had a lot of improvement there. And that's continuing, which is good. In other news, still watching Dragon Ball Super. Just got up to the Tournament of Power portion of that series. Also continuing to watch Warehouse 13. That show is definitely improving as we get through the first season. I wasn't too sure about it for the first episode. There's some problematic things in the first few episodes, really, as far as the characters and some of those things. But I think it's kind of gelling, which is fine, because a lot of times you need to give something a good half a dozen episodes to really hit its stride anyway. Think about the first season of Next Generation, which took all season and never quite hit its stride, you know? <laughs> so sometimes you got to give some shows some leeway, but it is something that Angie recommended really strongly. So I definitely want to give it a chance and, you know, watch through all of that. But yeah, otherwise, not too much else to report here. Still keeping up with the CW shows, reading through a lot of Star Wars material. More on that after the episode. And yeah, I got some plans out there, things that I want to start doing, start wanting to engage with some comic book media and some video game media too. And as always, it all comes down to a matter of time and bandwidth. So yeah, we'll see how all that goes too. But you guys came here for Stargirl. And so now we're going to go into the program already in progress. Let's meet our cast for this week. So starting up, she is a cosplayer, a sewer, a maker of many things. She's also a mom and my lady wife, and that is Beth. How are you doing, Hi. Beth? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. <laughs> you're, you're, you seem very uh, dramatic today. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so any, what's been going on for you? Um, not a whole lot. Uh, just been doing various sewing projects. Um, working on your Doctor Doom. Mm. What, right now? Not at the moment, no. <laughs> I was about to say, it doesn't on. look like Doctor Doom. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm making his cave right now. Um, 
just going to put the finishing trim on it and hem it and it's done. And then he can parade around the house with his cape and mask on and be like, <laughs> which he's very good at. Um, <laughs> not to put you on the spot or anything. Um, but right now I have in my lap a bunch of um, cotton linen blend fabric and I am attempting to make an 18th century men's shirt, AKA a pirate shirt. Yar. But aren't those typically called puffy shirts? Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to be hand sewing the whole thing. So I'm getting all like ye oldie timey with it. Mm. As you do. Yes. I mean, that's not even like, you don't even need to specify that because that's just standard. For 18th century garments, yes. <laughs> all right. Oh. It's just good practice for hand stitching because mm. I, I like to hand sew, but I haven't done it a whole lot except when something like really calls for it. But mm -hmm. I. I I want to do something that's all handsome. Okay. So we'll see. All right. And I can wear it to work. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back on the show, Val. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, next up um, is a guy that absolutely loves comics. He's got a great Riddler cosplay, since we're talking about cosplay right now. And that is my buddy, Eric. How are you doing, Eric? Hanging in there, man. <laughs> well, that's good. How is how is life during COVID treating you? Oh, I'm back to work. <laughs> That's good. I get tested weekly, but I'm back to work. Mm -hmm. The benefits yeah. of working at a college, and I'm using benefits sarcastically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least it's only like the three swabs instead of poking into your brain. So right. That. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was unpleasant. <laughs> so, um, what's been going on for you, Eric? Um. Nothing too much. A couple new episodes of uh, of the podcast are up. Uh, Scott's been moving, so we're in a... Well, he finished moving, so we're finally getting, hopefully, back on track by Wednesday for a new comic day, but we've had a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, I still got to write the two strips for Halloween instead of, instead of a whole arc. It's only going to be two strips because of the production delay, so... That's if we're back on schedule this week. <laughs> if not, still a mess. Um, yeah, there's a couple fun episodes from the last uh, month or two of the uh, podcast. With um, I talked with a fellow Eric, the awesome writer of um, the awesome writer of some of the more fun Ghostbusters uh, crossovers, uh, the tra Ghostbusters Transformers, and uh, and um, the Ghostbusters TMNT stuff. Hmm. Interesting. Which are very fun reads. Highly recommend them both. Sure, uh, sure. The no, turtle that stuff. Sounds, that sounds fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a weird mashup. Both of them. There's there's a transformer that is called well, he he lets them call him Ectotron because uh there's no way they can pronounce his uh Autobot name. So there's a transformer that looks like the Ecto one and his name is Ectotron and he is awesome. Okay. <laughs> he's basically Venkman in uh in uh, not Venkman. Uh, yeah, he's basically a uh an Autobot Egon. <laughs> Although an Autobot Venkman would be interesting also oh, for completely different reasons. That's the other that's the other awesome thing about the crossover is uh Peter becomes arch nemesis arch nemesis with uh Starscream. And yes, <laughs> I'm absolutely serious. <laughs> you you would love it. I guarantee you if you get the chance oh, to read the Oh, Mighty Megatron. 
I cannot do to, that uh, Starscream voice. <laughs> no, I'd I'd end up going into uh, I'd end up going into my Skeletor. Nah, he man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I got I got the idea of it, but I can't like my vocal cords can't like actually produce it. So oh cool. yeah, mine neither. <laughs> When I was a kid, my my claim to fame when I was a kid with 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 voice type stuff was that I could do a perfect imitation of the sound wave voice with just my normal vocal cords, and that's an electronically treated voice. And everybody said it was eerie, like how I could do it. Now since my voice has changed, it you know I can't that's do crazy. It anymore, but it was yeah, I used to do sound wave. <laughs> yeah, that's anyway. awesome. I love sound wave. <laughs> uh, I mean, everybody loves Soundwave. Yeah, yeah, Soundwave's awesome. All right, but uh, all right, that's very cool. It's very cool. So you got some interviews and stuff. That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, caught up with some old friends and new friends, and trying to get on a somewhat normal schedule with it. But mm-hmm. when you only have Thursdays and Fridays off. It can become a hassle. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely difficult with podcast scheduling. Oh yeah. <laughs> But we're getting there. Why yep. I Love Comics has returned, so yay. All right. Well, it's good to have you back on the show, Eric. Always good to be here, especially with today's show. Uh-huh. Right. All right. <laughs> and next up is a voice that has just recently joined us. Uh, I met her on a panel that I did for Virtual Dragon Con, and that is Jess Combs. How are you doing, Jess? Hey, I am good. How are you? I am doing all right. And uh, what's been going on for you, Jess, since the last time you were on, which was probably like, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, we uh, attended Virtual Dragon Con. Mm. Uh, It was very different. (laughs) Yeah. And that, I mean, that's pretty much it. I think that's been the highlight of my last few weeks. Uh, Just uh, doing the usual stuff, working. Uh, My podcast is on hiatus. So (laughs) I'm just trying to get on everyone else's podcast. Oh, yeah, no, I I understand that. Yeah, did you find that virtual Dragon Con left you feeling kind of empty inside at times because you were still home and you weren't able to just, like, go and do awesome stuff all the time? Yes, yeah, it was kind of just like, oh, I just finished that great panel. Who can I talk to? No one, (laughs) because I don't have anybody to talk to. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing, because I'm home, it's like, it's not the same level of, like, I did, like, all the stuff I normally do when I'm home. I did all the chores I normally do and all that. It's just like, oh, I take a one-hour break to do a panel. You know, whereas at Dragon Con, if you're doing a panel, when you're done with the panel, you can go see a celebrity, you can go hang out with friends, you can go, you know, like, go to some of the parties that are going on, you can go to the food court, whatever, you can do something, (laughs) you know, and like here, it was just like, it was just like, man, I get all hyped up for the panel, and then it's just like, (laughs) oh. I know, I know. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was definitely better than nothing. I'd much rather like have had that experience than just feeling completely depressed because there was no Dragon Con this year. (laughs) No, it was great that we got to do panels. I just like was I just was really feeling hard, like the like the feeling of just like, you know, but I wanna be more at like like it was almost like doing the panels made me want to be at Dragon Con even more. <laughs> yes. No, it did. It really, really did. I'm like, it's it's I mean, it's not the same. It's never, you know, anything virtual is just not gonna be the same as in person. Yep. Yep. But oh well, we'll get through it. We'll we continue to do these kinds of panels and you know, we'll <laughs> we'll just mark time <laughs> until the next Dragon Con. Exactly. Twenty twenty one. Here we come. That's right. Well. Cross your fingers. Yeah, anyway, 
everybody's saying stuff like that and I'm like god you're gonna jinx it but anyway I know I know yeah but uh anyway it's good to have you back on the show Jess thanks it's good to be here all right so next up it's our five minute controversy and uh for those of you who are listening for the first time what that is is just a way for us to talk about something that's going on in the geekosphere sort of loosen us up before we dive into the main topic and you know sort of uh, give you an insight into something else that's going on and because it's uh, applicable to dc news um, I wanted to talk about uh, something that broke, I don't know, probably like three months ago, but because I haven't really recorded a lot DC-wise since then, uh, we've only barely touched on. Uh, and that was that uh, Hartley Sawyer, who played um, Ralph Dibney, uh, was fired from The Flash because some tweets that he had made quite a few years ago, I believe like 2012, 2013 time frame, um, came to light where... He had said some very, very horrible things. Um, things like women belong in sex farms and shouldn't be allowed to vote and stuff like that. I mean, it's like really harsh and like strange and like like really weird kind of tweets, but like weird in a bad way. Um, but the reason that I'm bringing that up is because it reminded me of what happened with um, James Gunn also um, last year where a bunch of his old tweets came up. And in the end, you know, Gunn, you know, even though Disney said at first they were firing him, you know, first DC snatched him up and then Disney decided to hire him back. And so sort of my question is, you know, based on that, do you feel that it means anything like to fire somebody in these sorts of situations? Is it only a popularity contest? You know, should Hartley Sawyer be fired? Should he not be fired? You know, kind of just... You know, rapid fire question here, you know, as far as, you know, like, are, are, are people being held too accountable or not accountable enough? And is there even a difference between what happened between the two of these guys? Because you read the gun tweets, they're just as bad. I mean, he's talking about raping children and stuff and thinking that it's funny. So, um, so uh, we're going to start with you, Eric, because I think you already have an opinion on this matter. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, what do you think about what what's going on with Hartley Sawyer? Do you think that you know, he should be rehired. Do you think it was the right thing? And if so, what do you think about what happened with Gunn ultimately? Well, oh man, it still hurts. Cause you know, you talk about one of the brighter elements of the flash the last couple of years, it was definitely- I mean, the character I absolutely love and felt like he was really killing it, especially this season on the flash, but Put that aside. Well, well. Other than that, it comes into the whole idea of the popularity contest. But but let's put that aside for a moment, um, and just yeah. What what do you think? Well, I think there's a major difference in those situations because James Gunn has apologized multiple times for those tweets. Not that I'm I'm excusing excusing the terrible terrible. We're putting it in air quotes humor of any mm. of that. Mm. And especially after the, the terrible article where he was basically ranking the um the uh bangability of female superheroes, but that was a whole nother can of worms. Mm. Um but he apologized for those multiple incidences within both the year that they happened, and then several years later. And then literally several years after that, there have been multiple apologies for those situations with Gunn, as opposed to Sawyer, 
only apologized after people called him out for those tweets. Now, I'm not saying not like throwing shade at Sawyer as a person, because obviously we don't know him. We only knew him as as Ralph on that show, which is, you know, like your brain playing the biases versus like. Right. I mean, but that's the thing. We can't know any of these people. We don't really know James Gunn. Either. We don't know any of these people. So you can't really factor. I mean, in. obviously, they're fan experiences, too, but mm. versus like a two minute meeting. But like, oh, it's 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 tough because, you know, similar to the similar to, you know, like me following all of Seth MacFarlane's career, you know, where we talked about um, when you and I talked about the Orville and, you know, me being able to basically pull up, pull up stuff that he said in the past and knowing knowing how much of a Star Trek fan it is versus, you know, like I'd literally been following James Gunn since the Supers and seeing, you know, like the kind of dude he's at least shown himself as versus, you know, like you look at Hartley and you are, you see all those behind the scene interviews and you're like, oh yeah, he seems he seems like a pretty good dude. And then you read all those tweets and you're like, this this is not joking. This is this is like wanting reading this and going, yeah, you deserve to be punched in the face, my dude. Well, <laughs> this, yeah, these well, are pretty bad. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm par- I mean, you know, I, like, I, I feel like both of them, if you read their tweets, deserve to be punched. Oh in no, the no, face, I know. But, that's what I'm saying. Like, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like. Like, do you feel there's a difference, or do you feel, I mean, you're saying, I, I do, think, I do feel there's, a, I do there's feel there's a difference, because okay. it's, I guess my original point was, with, with the James Gunn apologizing over and over again, and facing up to the actions, Sawyer's kind of feels basically like his, his agent and his PR person went, no, you have to apologize for this. You know what I mean? Like it, it literally came right. out he's sorry. Very he, second you're, you're saying you feel like it's sorry. He's sorry that he got caught rather than that he yeah. was truly sorry. Okay. All right. No, that's, fair enough. Sorry. That's yeah. that's where I was trying to go with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I kind of went long-winded. <laughs> I understand. All right. Um, Jess, what do you think about what's going on? Are, are you following? The, I know you don't follow all the DC shows. Are you following The Flash? Yes. Yeah. So I do. I mean, I do watch The Flash and I had been enjoying Hartley's character a lot. Like I, you know, I didn't like when they introduced Ralph Dibney as much because, you know, he was like a real sleazeball character. And so I liked it when they had kind of like turned him around. And so I I remember I, I read the articles and stuff when, you know, when this, this all came out because it was all just like Hartley Sawyer you know, fired from the flash and everyone was like, what? <laughs> right. You know? And so it's, it's crazy. Like, I mean, I, I'm kind of with, with Eric on this a, a little bit, like it, it, it's hard to like, to know, to know the person. Right. And, and a lot of times like people, when they have like, especially actors, when they have this like public face and this, they're a public figure and they feel like they have to always like be on, they always have to be funny or self-deprecating or, you know, whatever it is. And, and, and you know, and like, and guys will say, no offense, um, guys, <laughs> we'll just, they'll, they'll say some like horrible off color stuff because, you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I mean, it's, it's coming a lot more to the forefront that like stuff like this is not okay and that it makes people feel uncomfortable as opposed to like it being like truly funny. And so 
I always, but I always still have like a hard time of saying, oh yeah, dude tweeted this in 2010, but in 2020, we're going to fire him for it. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like if he's, if he's still that same person and he's still making those same comments, whether it's publicly or if it's, even if it's like on set, then like, yeah, I mean, he definitely 100% like deserves to be fired for something like that because it's not cool. Like you're probably ostracizing a good bit of your cast. There's a lot of females on that cast and you know, he, there's also a lot of African-American people on that cast. So like, you know, you gotta kind of be careful with like, they get not like be careful, but you gotta like understand like who your audience is and like who you're talking to, you know what I mean? So, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't agree. I don't agree with any of the tweets. I, I, don't, I didn't particularly find them very funny that, you know, I, this is very like kind of off-putting, off-color humor, the same with James Gunn. And so I think, I, I don't know. I, I think if he is that same person and he's not like really sorry, then like, yeah, he kind of deserved to be fired. But at the same time, it's hard for me to be like, you know, we unearthed what you did almost a decade ago, but and we're going to fire you for it. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I also wonder why if people had this saved, because apparently he, he deleted his Twitter account a long time ago, and somehow people had screenshots saved, and it's like, why did you wait so long before bringing this up? It was the same thing with Gunn. Gunn had deleted those tweets a long time ago, too, and people just had them saved, and it was just kind of like, if, if, if you feel that these were a problem enough to screenshot them, why didn't you, like, put that out as soon as they became famous? You know, like, it just seems weird that it's just, like, <laughs> coming out. I agree. But... The, the timing the timing is, is odd and arguably convenient. I mean, and I feel like people do that on purpose, especially with public figures. They, they get some dirt and they sit on it until the best time i guess and i don't know if that's necessarily what happens but it's what seems like happens an awful lot when all of a sudden people are dredging stuff up from literally like almost a decade ago so i have very mixed feelings on it because i don't i don't agree with anything that he said i don't find it funny and i, I don't think that he should be saying stuff like that and i think he should be sorry and that he should apologize and if he had said those yesterday then yeah or if he was saying on set yeah he probably should have been fired but I, I do kind of have a problem with judging stuff up from almost a decade ago and then firing you for it today. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, to just jump on what you're saying, it's like when uh, presidential elections happen or even any elections and people are like, oh, but 30 years ago when you were in college, you did this. And it's like, the man's 50 or 60 now. Like, do you have any evidence they're still doing that? You know, I mean, it's kind of, I, I get you because yeah, sometimes it gets to the point where it's like, we all have crap in our past that we'd rather people don't like say like, by the way, you know, everybody in the world, here's something that you did when you were a kid, you know? So yeah, I, I I get that, um, and uh, yeah. So um, Beth, what what do you think about all this that's going on? Uh, I have agreements with uh, several things that have been said already, but I do feel like there should be some kind of standardization of punishment for things like this. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, circumstances can vary because, like, you know, how long ago this happened, like, like uh, Jess was saying. Um, and if that person is still acting the same way, then yeah, it should be a little bit harsher. But it's if you're going to fire someone, then keep them fired. Don't bring them back because of X, Y, Z. It, it just feels very uneven, unbalanced. That's the word. Right, because I, I do feel like is the thing that happened when James Gunn was fired is everyone took the Facebook and said, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to suck because of this. They didn't care about what he said. They didn't care about anything, you know, it's just that we think Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to suck. 
and and that I think is the double standard because people people love Guardians of the Galaxy and they didn't want that to be affected and so they were able to overlook it. They didn't say, well, because it's so long ago or any of that kind of stuff, you know, because then the same thing would apply to Hartley Sawyer. You know, none of those things. And, and yeah, that's the part that frustrates me is the double standard at play here. And that's why I brought up gun is because if it doesn't matter, then it shouldn't matter for either one. And the thing that I'm going to say to, to what you were saying, Eric, and, and I do get your point. The other side of that is I can see like if you're embarrassed by those tweets trying to cover them, like I don't think it necessarily means he's not sorry. Oh, I could totally see going like, oh crap, you know, I just got cast in like a big show. I better delete all this crap that I said because man, <laughs> that's really stupid and I don't want anyone to see it. So I can sort of see it both ways. I mean, it could be the other way too. It could just be that he was like, I gotta cover this crap up, you know, but I can sort of see someone also being very embarrassed about stuff coming out and then being like, I better just like pretend it never happened and maybe everyone will just forget about it. So um, obviously in this case, it was the wrong choice. Um, you know, and maybe if he had been more upfront about it, people would be treating him more leniently. But yeah, I mean, that's sort of where I come on this thing because, you know, I, I feel like, like, like Beth was saying, like, I, I just feel like it's disjointed in the industry and it feels like there's, it's not fair because of, you know, it seems like two different people with two very similar, like, circumstances are being treated very differently. And it would be fine if it was one way or the other, but since they're being treated differently is the point where I'm getting a little annoyed about it. Um, I will say this to Jess's point, everyone from the cast and crew who has commented on it has talked about how shocked they were to see those tweets. I mean, maybe they were just being nice, but I would say then that that probably indicates that he does not act, that he did not act that way on set. You know, if yeah. everyone, yeah. And so. another thing that I noticed, because I was, you know, following this, like, as it was actually mm -hmm. happening, did you notice how at first, and I don't know who, who wrote it originally, but Grant Gustin was the first one I saw posted on Instagram. It was, you know, one of those, like, screenshots of, like, a, a text message or something. It was something that, like, he wrote out. But every single member of the cast then put it on their Instagram. And so it was a bit odd to have them, like, start posting it because they all just posted the same thing they didn't like necessarily post like their version of it and it was you know something along the lines of i don't you know agree with what was said i don't you know condone his actions like blah 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 it was very much like them stepping up to the plate to basically say like we don't agree with this this is not okay like yes he was fired like you know that sort of stuff and so it it felt less genuine like it felt genuine when i saw grant post it but then when i saw everybody else posting it and then i saw who the actual original author was which i think was someone like on the crew like it was it was very that was a little bit like off-putting to me it, it felt that part also felt a bit forced so it was to add another wrinkle yeah no i mean like i said i mean it's it's a it's a thing that's coming i mean it's good in some ways that like this is getting addressed more and people are bringing it up more when they see it, you know, so that people, so that they can create better work environments and, and, and so where people don't feel, you know, that they're working with someone that makes them very uncomfortable. But at the same time, I think there's still a lot of work to do in sort of, you know, coming up with, you know, what, what are the right consequences and what really should be taken seriously or not, you know. So, all right, well, yeah, I mean, I, I really like this one because I think we got a good spectrum of thoughts on it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so 
Um, now we're going to move on to talking about Stargirl, but first we're going to pause for a promo from another fine podcast. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. Join us this winter as we watch changes in the DC Universe unfold. We'll keep you informed on DC News, we'll review the future state event, and of course, we'll be talking the Arrowverse shows when they return this January. Thanks for letting us be a part of your DC Comics journey, and thanks for listening to the Earth Station DCU podcast. Part of the ESO Network! And we're back. And like I talked about at the top of the show, we are talking about Stargirl this time. And just out of curiosity, um, I mean, I can say Beth and I watched the uncut version on uh, DC Universe because we were going to get DC Universe anyway to watch Titans and Doom Patrol because we hadn't yet seen those. And so I figured, oh, well, we'll we'll get DC Universe. We'll binge Stargirl first because I waited until the last episode had dropped. And... You know, we'll binge that first, and so I didn't watch it while it was airing on CW, and then we'll go on to the other shows. Um, but I'm just kind of curious: did you guys watch the one on C, the version on CW or DC Universe? So, uh, Eric? Hell no! I watched the one on DC Universe. I'm okay. not watching five or six minutes cut out of all the episodes. Okay, Jess. Well, I wasn't paying for DC Universe, so I watched it on the CW. So I watched the cut version, if you will. Okay, fair enough. No, I was just curious because I, I honestly don't know what's cut out of each episode, but I did notice that they were significantly longer on uh, on DC Universe, so I don't know what, you know, what content was added, but, uh, but something's there. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, the interesting thing about Stargirl is that after it was announced as one of the DC Universe shows, suddenly, you know, after COVID, they announced like, oh, by the way, it's going to air on the CW too. Um, so, so it, it, and now it's going to move to the CW. Um, but one of the things that I really liked about Stargirl, you know, it's a Berlanti production, just like a lot of the DC stuff or all the DC stuff on the CW is that it didn't feel like it was a CW show. at all. So I'm just kind of curious, did you guys get that same sort of vibe from Stargirl that it was a very non C, you know, even though it's Berlanti, it doesn't feel like a CW Berlanti kind of show. Uh, Eric? You don't know production-wise? Well... Technically, it's not a Berlanti show. Okay. This was all Jeff Johns. Well, I know, but it's made by Berlanti, right? No, they Jeff had full control over this thing. Well, it said Berlanti production at the end. Yeah, it says Berlanti Productions. Well, no, I know, but I'm saying, like, Jeff literally had full control over everything when it comes... When it comes to Stargirl, because Star this Courtney is based after Jeff's sister, who sadly passed away at a very young age. So he is very protective over this version, you know, over the Courtney version of Stargirl. Mm -hmm. And he was given full control over the show. That's why James Robinson got thrown into the writer's room. That's why we get, like, as many heavy homages, and it feels... 
much more closer to the comic books than some of the other Berlanti shows, which I do love. But when it comes to the Berlanti verse, this is probably the strongest comic book feeling show other than a of other than Legends. But still, um, but it's very much it's very much Jeff's baby. Like yeah. this was him going full hands on and making sure everything was like you see his name in both the executive producer um, section as well as like the writing section and pretty much like I think his name probably pops up like three or four times in the credits in like I'm not exaggerating when I say like he was all hands on deck this was very much like you'll hear the you'll hear the cast and crew talk about Jeff you hear like like this is one of those shows where like even the Berlanti stuff uh, you never really hear about the crew talk about the producers more than like three or four times a season versus you know like the showrunners this was jeff being on set for everything imaginable and like guiding the show the whole time mm-hmm. well good job yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah so so yeah beth i mean what did you think of it like sort of tonally and it was very campy it took me quite a while to get used to it mm-hmm. because in my brain i was thinking oh it's another cw show but on Disney, I'm sorry, DC Universe. I'm, but yeah, for, I had it stuck in my brain that this was a CW show just online also as, as we were watching it. So it was very jarring for me to see this whole campy atmosphere for everything. And then you had, Nathan had to explain to me like, oh, this is like golden age stuff. You just gotta roll with it. And I was like, okay, I'll get there. And I had to like, keep from throwing up when they played handsome music completely different <laughs> she, thing oh god she went on like a 30 minute tirade about how they were playing Hanson <laughs> and how mad she was about it and it was it was very disrupting to watch it was that the first episode the first episode yeah, oh god yeah like this show right is now. dead to me because they're playing Hanson <laughs> like it went on and on and I was just like just 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 watch just calm down just watch everyone's complimenting this show so you know just watch yeah to just just having Hanson that's like the bookends of this of this of that the season. It, it did the seem season. weird to me uh, just because do, do would a 15 year old kid even know what Hanson is like like what were they still popular <laughs> no no this, they, they gave they gave the show a distinctly 90s feel from the dress to the music they I, I they think they were trying to like play up the fact that this is a different, this is a different earth, you know, it's, and especially after crisis, it's really a different earth. So, you know, it's not like how earth two like used to be. And so I, I think they were trying to lean into that, like on purpose, that, that was the feel that I got. Cause I was very shocked when Courtney pulled out an iPhone because I thought they were going to continue with the nineties vibe. Like I thought they were going to make that present day of earth two. Well, yeah, I mean, the old Earth 2 had, like, an almost 1940s vibe to it, which was kind of interesting, like, 1940s, but modernized. Yeah, and Earth 3, I think Earth 3 was the the Dawson's Creek 90s Earth, because that was a... (laughs) John Wesley ship was on Earth 3. Right, yep, that's correct, yeah. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, no. So like the thing that was interesting to me was just yeah, because the tone, like Beth was mentioning, it was very it's very campy. You know, like I was I was really expecting like the fights between family members to become a much bigger thing than they were, and they all seemed fairly reasonable, and they didn't blow up into things where people like storm out and live on their own for you know three or four episodes or whatever. <laughs> it's just like I couldn't I couldn't. Think. I- I can't think of a single time where someone said, can we have the room? <laughs> or, or, <laughs> or we are through. <laughs> yeah. Oh God! Yeah, I, I would almost, I almost wish like uh, Stephen Amell was still on stuff just so they could like port him over to this universe for once and just have him be like shocked that people could like handle their feelings in mature ways and stuff. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> oh, simpler man. times, the nineties. Simpler times. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. So I I really loved it. I loved the whole aesthetic. I loved like the whole like. And this is the thing. And this is what I used to say when like Arrow and the Flash were the only two CW shows and I would say like people would be like one is better the other is better I'm like I like having both flavors I like having my grim and dark arrow but I like having my like upbeat flash show also and I didn't think that the two were exclusive and I feel the same way about this show like this show you know because like the flash and supergirl are kind of taking that almost like almost hopeful to the point of naivete like feel to them in a lot of ways although the flash has tried to alternate with grimdark because you know whatever um but uh but star girl feels like it's weirdly both grounded and realistic from like a a, a feeling stand like like a relationship standpoint but then is all willing to take the superpowers thing to the level that the other you know uh, cw shows have never done you know like they, they've always tried to keep the superpowers more restrained or at least in general. Um, and, and so I like the fact that they like just went full comic book on a lot of things. And we're just like, yeah, we're gonna have a giant mecha made out of a car. Sure, why not? <laughs> why not, you know, it's just like, that's great. You know, that's, that's almost the mix that I would say is just about perfect, is to like keep those comic book physics and comic book tech but like have the relationships and the core feel more like this is a real family. And even the villains, have them not be like mustache twirling, like world conquering villains, have them have like a more realistic goal, right? With, again, with comic book physics, I'm not saying realistic in the sense of, you know, but it's not the, I want to destroy the world or I want to conquer the world, you know, uh, kind of goal that you get from a lot of these things. So, um, I don't know, I just really appreciated that and I appreciated the uh, the, the big tonal shift. And, um, so do you guys think that the fact that season two is going to be CW and so there will be network, you know, influence on it? Do you think that they're going, like, I mean, Eric, you know, I know you're saying uh, Jeff is is big on it, but I mean, a production, I mean, you, you have to like sort of listen to the people who have the money also. So, um, you know, do you think that, you know, moving over to the CW, is that something that you're concerned about at all? Or do you think that, uh, the show is pretty much going to continue the way it is. So um, why don't we start with you this time, Jess? Yeah, no, this is perfect because they they released some articles not too long 
after the announcement was made and it was I think just before the end of the season and it basically was kind of answering this question because the first thing that all of us did when we said that it's moving to the CW we're like oh no (laughs) (laughs) there goes our show I have concerns (laughs) exactly yes literally everyone with superpowers (laughs) yes everyone's like raising their hand like but 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 what's going to happen? And so, I don't know, I think everyone was initially concerned and um, Jeff Johns did a couple, I think he did a couple different interviews, but the particular one that I re- uh, read was basically what Eric was saying. Like he's very heavily involved in this show and it's him and his creative team and they're going to retain everybody. They're going to have a little bit smaller of a budget, but creative will remain the same. Even their VFX team that they've been using will remain the same and it's going to continue to film in Atlanta. So they're not, they're not making the move to Vancouver because I don't know. I don't know if maybe you guys realize this, um, but it's, it's filmed in several different little uh, suburb cities like around the Atlanta area, which is where I live. And so I've actually kind of gone to visit Blue Valley, Nevada, because it's like an hour away from me. And so they're going to let them continue filming here um, because it's not as expensive as like, you know, if they're in LA or anything. And then from what I understand, creative will remain the same and it'll be very heavily influenced by Jeff Johns. So I am a lot more optimistic than I originally was when they first said, hey, we're moving to the CW. <laughs> yeah, because I, uh, I knew Black Lightning was made in Atlanta, and, but the rest of the CW shows were made are made in uh, Vancouver. So uh, yeah, that surprises me. I thought that Stargirl was just another one of the Vancouver shows. Um, but we didn't see the, the, the forest. Well, no, that's true. There's that one woods <laughs> outside of Vancouver that everything from like Stargate to Once Upon a Time to Arrow uses, and you can tell it's the same clearing <laughs> in all those shows. And it's just like, guys, find another woods location, okay? I recognize the trees. That's bad. <laughs> I know that bit of moss. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's just like, there was a time I swear because we were like watching Stargate and then like Arrow or something like or the Once Upon a Time maybe or whatever we were like we just happened to watch two episodes that were in the same field and we were just like god i recognize this anyway anyway but yeah um uh, uh okay well that's good to know that's good to know because um i i think back to when supergirl moved from cbs and how it was clear that both A, they lost a lot of money, and B, like, it seemed like they basically changed the show. I mean, the, the show changed, like, significantly um, between, like, just from, like, the way the characters felt and where the storyline seemed to be going and everything. It was almost like we were seeing another Earth version of the show. Um, so I'm glad to hear that Stargirl, it sounds like we're not going to have that kind of an issue. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure there's much more to say about that. Eric, do you have any other intel? Uh, oh, sure. He asks me the question first and then goes, let's have Jess answer. Well, no, no, I'm just saying like <laughs> to what you were talking about, Eric. I mean, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm like giving this. you crap. I had right, to. You right, put right. you put yourself out there. I had to give you crap for that one. <laughs> now at this point, it doesn't seem like my opinion or Beth's really matters because there's actual information out there. So do you have anything else? <laughs> Oh, wait until we get to uh, some of the fight fight stuff and some of the practical stuff. There's some fun knowledge I've gained via interviews and and uh, internet shows that I watch. But uh, but no, um, my only 
downside in kind of wishing it had stayed, you know, now that everything's going over to um, the uh, HBO Max, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the streaming service is called. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else uh, right. is the fact that, like I already mentioned, we might be losing like five or six episodes, five or six minutes in each episode, which would be a bummer. But now that they know they're moving to the CW for season two, they'd probably be easier to uh, adapt to that in their uh, screenplays for each episode so well i will say this eric it's probably true that every show actually probably records 50 plus minutes of material that gets cut down before the show airs so this probably isn't unusual we just get to see director's cuts of this first season of star girl that normally you don't get to see um, you know, with most shows. So yeah, I mean, because even movies like often like film like like hour plus more material than actually gets in there, and that's why you get like alternate cuts and things that come out sometimes for some movies. That's not. That's just other movies have all that extra material. It's just they're not popular enough to get alternate cuts or director's cuts or whatever. So um, you know, it's it, it's not. I don't think this is uncommon. Um, so yeah, it's just that we're not going to get director's cuts of Star Girl anymore. But you know. It's it's a minor loss, I think. I doubt any of the extra material was, like, necessary. It was just kind of nice to have kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah. I mean, because everybody who watched it on the CW didn't seem to, like, feel like they were missing anything. So, like, Jess, would you agree with that, that you didn't feel like you were missing anything? No, I didn't. There, were, I mean, there were a couple scenes that, like, some um, listeners on our podcast called out, like, specifically. Mm-hmm. But, and I was like, I don't remember th- I don't remember that. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, I guess it was only on the DCU. So yeah, but overall to like how the entire season went, I don't feel as if I missed a thing. Maybe a couple little like extra Easter eggs or something. Mm-hmm. So um, Eric, this is where I'm going to call on you because um, I think of all of us, you're the only one who's really steeped in the comic lore. So um, my understanding, though, is that this show is very faithful to sort of like the, the idea of the Justice Society and, uh, you know, like sort of the comic origins of the characters. Um, so do you feel that that's the case? Like, do you feel like this show is like really paying homage to the, you know, sort of comic origins of, you know, of, the, of these characters? I mean, obviously, like, Beth and Yolanda weren't around at the same time that Rick and and even Courtney were to an extent. Like, it's a very hybrid of, of the different um, characters that are related to the Justice Society. And in the comics, there's some stuff that that happens with Mike that they change up with Courtney or even, like, her mom to an extent. Like, I can't, because my lovely brain already froze on uh, on. Ghostbusters characters, so it's going to freeze on specific <laughs> comic book stuff, especially related to the very specific Stargirl comic. But so, so answer me this, because I I know in the like originally, like the Justice Society was like a World War Two team, right? Yeah, like in the original comic, like. But I know DC reboots everything every so many years. Is the Justice Society still something that stems back to World War Two and the current continuity, or is it a more recent yes. thing? Okay. So how are their kids so young in modern times? Or is that <laughs> so is that more is that something the show like sort of changed up? No. Well, I mean it's oh man. Viagra. You are so you 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 are so lucky it's me and not Sean right now, because we'd be losing an hour with that question. Well, only if both you and Sean were on the same thing, but okay. <laughs> no, but, just 
because I know for a fact Sean could give us the full answer with you know everything from zero year to crisis to let's just say the sliding time scale for characters and their age can be very 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 messy in the comic books especially when it comes to someone like Alan Scott which I still say we're probably getting Jade uh, either season two or season three but that's just my guess and hope for the Green Lantern Mm. um yeah, no, I I, uh, I I saw the lantern and I was uh, I was curious if we'd get one, but uh, we didn't get one yet. yet. Well, there's there's an even more fun reference with a with, um, with with uh, the pen. What yes. is being, the pen? Uh, yes, they they throw they throw out Jakeem's name and Jakeem becomes the um becomes the wielder of the uh, of the genie inside of a uh, current day JSA. So I was kind. Of, I got really excited when they mentioned his name, and then they never showed him. Such a tease. Mm. <laughs> I was getting so annoyed with the pen thing. I think there's been a lot of teasing and attempted setup for the coming seasons. Um, yeah, it does sure. seem to be better planned out than a lot of the prior shows. Although to be fair, this is a much shorter season than a lot of the CW shows, and so they have to be a little tighter. It is, and I hope they keep that. I hope they do Legends format, and I hope they don't try to force it to be longer. I don't think so. My suspicion is that it will remain a summer, because I've been saying for a long time, like, like CW should do a summer DC series. Like, instead of trying to do eight series all, like, in the fall, (laughs) like, put one in the summer. And and so it was nice that, you know, that Stargirl was in the summer, because it sort of carries through. And, um, and yeah, I think they should keep that format because then they haven't announced when season two will air, but I'm hoping it's another, it'll drop in May again, like, and just go from May through July or did it go through all, I can't remember. But anyway, what, however long it went, you know, this year is, should, should be how they do it next year too. So, so kind of jumping, jumping back to the, to the question about, you know, the whole slipping time scale and just screeches and all that, all that fun. Like, obviously one of the big things is, Ted Ted Knight's name is thrown out, and Ted is the original Starman who invents the cosmic rod and has that connection to it. Um, Sylvester was not the original Starman, and obviously they go into that a little bit in the show. But other than Rick, the only one who has any like familial connection in the comic books, even in the comic books, because Beth actually doesn't have a like familial connection to um the original dr midnight is uh yolanda who her godfather was actually ted grant um the original wildcat but as we can see in the show i mean it's not outside of the possibility you know he could have been her godfather her parents might have might have known him, but that might be pushing it <laughs> with how her, we know her family is. Well, I mean, part of my question is because it seems like it seems like this version of the JSA is probably not a World War II thing. It seems like it's fairly recent. Um, it doesn't. Well, I mean, not 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 super recent, but like you know, like uh, you know, maybe an organization that's like thirty years old or something. So, well, that's that's the other thing is we only get into bits and pieces of the history. This isn't necessarily the first version of the team. While it has some members from the original team from what was teased uh, in that in that very first episode, it's not necessarily the first incarnation of the team that existed. Mm. In this, this newer incarnation is 10 years after that team. So we could be looking at the fourth or fifth incarnation 
of the Justice Society, because even in the comic books, the original Justice Society had uh, a Wonder Woman in it, and that was Hippolyta. Uh, Hippolyta. I always, yeah, I always butcher how you say her name, but it wasn't Diana; it was her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce and Clark were obviously Bruce and Clark, because yeah, Batman and Superman were technically part of the Justice Society, but that's a whole nother sliding time scale mess. But you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right, right. the JSA is one of the only real and this has always been a thing, especially like late nineties, early two thousands, with the very run that Jeff Johns and James Robinson both worked on, have always been this big legacy family connection to mm-hmm. the past and the present of the DC universe. So that's really the huge hook of this show is very much in spirit with the actual comic books of the last almost 30 years, so to speak. Well, yeah, I mean, because of the fact that they're actually laying a groundwork of a universe where superhero, you know, because the, the problem with the Arrowverse is, yeah, they sort of said there was a JSA that was like undercover in World War II in the Arrowverse universe, but like they always made it feel like pretty much when Oliver became the Arrow, that's pretty much when like superhuman slash superheroes start, you know, is from that point forward, even though there were a few exceptions, you know, but um, this is basically laying out like, no, there's a lot of characters that already existed and we can inherit mantles and powers and things and pass those on and stuff like that. And so I really like that, you know, kind of aspect to it also. But yeah, so let's talk uh, a bit about characters that uh, we really appreciated from the show. Um, so let's start with you this time, Beth. Who is your favorite character on Stargirl? Oh, come back. There, <laughs> all the different characters are great for different reasons, and that's why okay. I, have, I have a hard time picking a favorite. Okay. So it's a good all problem to have. All the characters. All the, you I said all the characters are great for different reasons. Okay, but... <laughs> I, I would not pick the little brother. I <laughs> okay, all right. We'll, so, we'll, we'll come back to you, though. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> if Beth needs a minute, I can go first. All right, Jess. Okay. <laughs> Who's your favorite? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the, the villain here. I am going to go with Icicle. Mm. He, I absolutely loved that character. I loved the portrayal of the character. I thought it was very well done, and I just kind of fell in love with him and so i'm i don't know i'm i'm i have mixed emotions about what the ending meant for his character and i really hope he comes back well um yeah i I had the hardest time because i kept watching him going like where do i know him from where do i know him from i was like oh my god it's marcus van cyber from blade the series He's he's been in quite a few things that I mean he was I I who's in Westworld had like a little tiny part in Westworld and he's in some he's in Absentia which I don't watch but well there's really no reason why anyone should watch Blade the series but I'm a huge Marvel fan so I watch everything Marvel and he yeah. was in Blade the series as a vampire he was the he was sort of the uh, egalitarian vampire that wanted all <laughs> vampires to be equal and not like natural born vampires to be like more special than ones that were turned and he was so he was he, he played that same sort of like idea of a villain but kind of not because some of his goals were actually reasonable kind of mm-hmm. thing um, he, I mean, he'd still kill somebody. I mean, he had no problems with problems like you know, just like with Icicle. But um, oh yeah, 
but uh, but yeah, I, but so but so Icicle allows us to talk about something that's very interesting about the show, and that is the fact that the villains are like it, it's 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 so interesting to have villains that their plan isn't like i want to conquer the world or i want to destroy and it's not unusual for people who have read comics because you know because there's so many marvel and dc characters that there's always like villains with more interesting you know motivations but for tv adaptations or movie adaptations the villains tend to be more one note you know Mm -hmm. they tend not to capture like those kinds of nuances and the idea of legacy because you know, we have two things here the legacy applies to the villains too these are older villains who have settled down to an extent had children of their own and start worrying about their kids futures which is so fascinating again i'm not sure i've ever seen an adaptation deal with that and at the same time also villains who are yeah we don't like respect people's autonomy <laughs> but we want to create a better world, you know? And so it's just sort of, it, it's, it's so fascinating. And it's such an interesting way to take a show um, is, is to present villains where even like the heroes go like, wait, are we sure we want to be up against these guys? <laughs> right. I love that they called that out. It's like, are you sure we're on the right side? This sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's like, right. Are we on the right side? I don't know, man. I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, I think that they, the only reason they pushed it to the side of, you know, definitely, like, because you can almost say, like, hey, if we can just, like, put the idea in people's heads that this is a good thing, then the world mm-hmm. will be so much better. You could almost get away with that, but because of that 25% death rate, you know, is where they pushed it into, you know, like, this is evil. <laughs> yeah, plus the whole mind control thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um... But, uh, but uh, Eric, um, what do you, well, I mean, let's talk about this a little bit, because I think this is a whole subject in and of itself. What do you think about the depiction of the villains uh, in this series? Oh, I love, I love, I loved everything about the villains. I'm still ticked off we didn't get more of the, uh, the magician and his family, because mm. I thought, I thought he was such, those first two episodes, he was so good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's dangerous when the villains are just, so freaking likable <laughs> i mean even icicle you hate the guy but you also love the guy because the actor and the writing were so good for him and i'm so excited to see if they pull the trigger and go with icicle jr in season two i'm really hoping they play with that a little bit but i guess we'll have to wait and see because i think that would be a lot of fun i don't know if it's season two or later down the line but i'm sure they are going to play with icicle jr <laughs> i'm sure that's going to be a thing because Icicle Jr., very, very tiny tangent. I have to pull a Sean moment because my very first jump back into the DC universe when I was, um, it was around like 2003, 2004, was the JSA story where the, where, um, the Ultra Humanite has taken over the whole entire, like, DC universe to the point that he has basically everybody under mind control. And it's up to Jakeem Thunder icicle and a couple members of the the justice society including i think i think our man was one of the members so like you already and it's the our man in the show because rick is awesome but um um but that was like one of my first real jumps back into the dc universe so i already have the you know connection to our man and like i said jakeem being teased just made me grin like a moron and (laughs) and um icicle in particular even though it's not this version it's icicle jr that 
is the the one that I'm a fan of, and not not the Young Justice version, but the comic book version, because he's he's actually connected to the uh, to um oh wow uh, is it Huntress or Tigress? Tigress. Tigress. Thank you. It was an S. The the second or the third Tigress. So the, even the villains are multi generational, which we get bits and pieces of teases at in the show. Brainwave mm-hmm. Junior. No. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. It hurts gutted, so right? much. <laughs> but but yeah, I do feel like they squandered quite a few of the characters, and and I get it. I get that there's huge a huge number of villains in DC, and they can always pull more out. You know, even besides the ones they teased. Um, but but I I did wish that like several of those characters would have continued. You know, I mean, you mentioned the magician. I would have liked Brainwave to continue on. I would have liked Icicle to continue on. Like these are interesting, you know, uh, villains for various reasons. And so yeah, it would have been. It would have been nice for them all to be able to to keep going. I'm not sure the Snake Doctor guy, whatever his name was, or Dragon, whatever, was dead because they the said, King. yeah, the Dragon King, because they already said like he was executed in like the 1940s and he's still around. So you know, he, I, I'm not sure that actually that Japanese vitality. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, Doctor Ito. Yeah, Doctor Ito. Thank you. Um, so uh, yeah, Beth, villains. How do you feel about how the villains were were done? I really liked the villains. It was when they pulled up the manifesto and they were reading it. That's when when you just realize what's really going on <laughs> as a viewer and as, and for the characters as well. Mm. But then you're like, oh 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 no, um, well, <laughs> shoot! <laughs> it's like which side is right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when when I saw um, Icicle walking down the street and he saw the little girl who's trying to wake up her father in front mm-hmm. of the movie theater, that gutted me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because as a parent, I get really like, I, I well, yeah, because I mean, uh, well, well, yeah, because if none of the kids are affected, they're going to be kids running out in the street. They're going to be cars that are out of control because this is gonna, like there's there's all sorts of danger to the kids while this is all while they're everybody all the parents are being uploaded. Yeah, they can you walk know. off a cliff like playing Pokemon Go. Right. So uh, yeah, it's it's there's certainly other issues with it also of what could happen while that was going on. Um, but yeah. Good news though. I picked my favorite character. Okay. <laughs> it took a while to, to go through like the roster. Okay. I'm I'm going to pull a Doctor Strange and say the wand, the staff. Oh, oh, okay. I was about to say Doctor Fate wasn't in this, so why are you going to pull a Doctor Strange? Because but, no, because Kate was my favorite. No, no, I know, I know, I got what you meant, <laughs> but no one listening to this would be able to make that intellectual leap. But I'm now, sorry. yes, now I get what you're saying, and yes, you because you like you like intelligent objects. Yes. So okay, the staff. Okay. Yes. Why? Why is the staff your favorite? The staff was so funny, first of all, <laughs> okay. and. It was basically doing a lot of the fights for her in the beginning because she was just like completely inept at this whole superhero Mm -hmm. thing. And it was intelligent enough to know, like after, um, what's his name? The dad. Oh, um, uh, Pat. Pat. After Pat had spoken with the staff and said, stop putting her in danger, it stopped lighting up for her for a while until she was actually in real danger and then it came to her rescue. Mm. So things like that, I mean, it's it's more than just a sentient staff. It's a smart sentient staff. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's very you, hon. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like how well, you teach like service dogs willful disobedience in a good thing. Yeah. 
yeah. I mean, I mean, to me, that was more of a problem, though, because I felt like the staff pretty much does all the work, and all that Courtney's got going for her is her pluck. You know, it's just <laughs> like, I, I, I want to see her, like, do some things without the staff, you know, to be able to be more like she's a hero in her own right. I'm sure you know, we'll get to that. But, but yeah, I mean, you. it's a first season. It's a first season. But yeah, like to me, the staff was actually almost kind of like a problem. I, I didn't like the fact that it was intelligent. I would have liked her to have to, to, to like earn her superhero-ness. Well, you see as the series goes on. Right. That and that's, she is, and that's very possible. Like, right. She is using the staff for what it can do mm -hmm. to do her gymnastic stuff, not mm -hmm. just be like, oh, it's pulled me off the ground. Oh, crap. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Eric, who's your favorite character? I'm going with the one that surprised me the most because I was way off on my guess on who he turned out to be. And that is, of course, Shining Knight, Sir Justin himself. I mean, if you had told me a year ago that I was going to get one of the one of the seven soldiers of victory in one that got basically a full episode of justice league unlimited back in the day yeah that's right, right. that's such a good episode but um i wanted his i wanted his pegasus hey we could still get it i know we could still get it <laughs> yeah he was my runner-up i was i was trying to decide between the staff and and him well the thing is they did a nice job of introducing the idea that the violinist was irish and then having him talk in an yes. irish accent and i was like oh he's the janitor but then they, it was no no once i saw the sword i figured it out i was like oh yeah. it's shiny. well okay so so at first, I was convinced that he was going to be Alan Scott. Mm, okay. Like, I kind of figured the amnesia angle was going to be played up, which it obviously mm. was. Mm. But I was like, just because of how they teased the Green Lantern, I'm like, it's not, you know, like, even though he's not connected to the core, it's like, it's still not lighting up. It's not looking for, you know, anybody. So I was like, I was like, huh, an old bearded man acting very odd <laughs> in the first couple episodes. I think that might be Alan. And then, you know, like he come, he rushes to Courtney's aid and then it clicks, you know, the second you see him use the, um, that stand as, as a temporary sword. I was like, wait, that's not, and then of course, you know, you see the scene with the sword and you're like, oh, it's Justin. Like that's, that's what my brain did. I had a little nerd out moment because I'm like, oh, shiny knight. Now, where's the Pegasus Society? Yeah, a character I'd never heard of except for Justice League Unlimited. And because yep. of Justice League Unlimited, that's how I knew who he was. <laughs> yep. I'll give you that. I won't give you grief about that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I recognized, because when they showed the photo, I recognized um, Vigilante uh, in there also, who was also in uh, Justice League Unlimited. So. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> and also a, like a golden aging version of the green arrow too which is kind of funny it's but. actually yeah if you if you want a real good laugh the right. um seven soldiers of victory at least the second incarnation of the team it's actually roy harper oh okay <laughs> yep Yep. Which, okay, okay, okay all right, all right, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. You brought up Roy. Does anyone else feel that the kid playing uh, the young hour man is like the spitting image of Colton Haynes? A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. I can see that. Very trippy. <laughs> if you took Colton Hayes and mixed him with Robert Pattinson? <laughs> oh, okay. Now you've gone too far. You crossed the line. I'm not sure he sparkles <laughs> that much. <laughs> 
I'm not sorry. No, no, every time, like, and every time he was, like, being angry and everything, I was like, oh, my God, it's just like Roy in those early episodes of Arrow yes. when he's, like, being all, like, angry and tough, and I'm just like, ah, it's doing funny things to my head. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, he was my third choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Justin, man, that was, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he was a deep cut. <laughs> That they put in there. Can can I circle back to the villains for a second? Because I oh, have sure. a very interesting question to uh, to ask. Okay. So obviously they were keeping Grundy behind the 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 like, big vault that he couldn't escape from. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that for however long you know for those 10, 10, 15 years that that they were operating in this town that Grundy was basically trying to break out of there because he wasn't under the mind control anymore until he was released again because that's what it seemed like yeah that's what it seemed like to me too they probably just kept okay. him yeah. stationed with big belly burger <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> the thing that exists in every universe of the multiverse yeah. <laughs> i mean that's kind of like what we surmised on our podcast was just that he they had kept him locked up for the last decade and just let him out to do like their dirty deeds you know what i mean so so i'm used to grundy having a little bit of a personality but this version was more like like the savage hulk kind of iterations from marvel like is Mm -hmm. this more like how he's depicted in the comics eric or does can he usually talk yeah it depends on the writer and I'm not being sarcastic. It really uh, okay, yeah. Because I'm, I'm just every iterate. Because I've seen several different versions of Grundy before, from various cartoons or even from uh, Gotham. Um, oh, you he's know. very different in Gotham, right? And 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 it just seemed like all the versions I had seen in the past could talk, even if they were dumb. You know, so the very end tease reminded me reminded me of that Justice League animated episode with the uh, Hot Girl. Oh, right, when Gundy, Grundy was resurrected yep. for the second time, right. And then he was just a pure rage monster. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So favorite character, um, I'm going to go, since Icicle would have been my choice. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to go with Pat. Because I don't think superhero dads are a thing often enough. And... <laughs> Black Lightning has been a pleasant surprise to me, and I'm going to go with Pat on this one. And even kudos for them doing a Blended Family. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think that the whole journey, even though I called it fairly early on, the journey of Courtney giving Pat the present she had been saving for her father, I think was a very nice, like, way to sort of circle things around to, like, Courtney realizing that you know, even though he wasn't her biological father, to all intents and purposes, Pat is her dad. Yep. You know, and I, I like that. that. I like that journey, even though, again, like I said, I can see it coming, but I loved it. <laughs> you know, um, it was it was the right kind of thing, and it also felt earned. It felt realistic. Again, it's taking real human relationships and putting them in this kind of sort of crazy comic book physics world but they feel like real people and how they would react to each other. Like everything from the mom feeling like upset because Courtney was bonding so strongly with Pat and for them to have secrets from her and everything that felt real. 
it felt legitimate for her to be upset about that and angry about it, especially since it was dangerous too on top of that. The way that Mike feels like sort of like displaced because his dad is bonding with her, that felt very real. But again, it's not like the CW. It doesn't turn into a thing. Mike doesn't run away or you know anything <laughs> like that. It's like he has the issue. He's upset about it. But then they deal with it, you know, as a family, you know. And, and eventually Mike even contributes. <laughs> that's questionable well yeah you know like (laughs) like i'm of two minds i get it was a joke i get it was a joke but at the same time he just murdered somebody and i felt like there should be like a little more when you're 10 and you just murdered somebody (laughs) but oh well you know i'm just saying though the idea of how the family works together felt very real and very earned and i love the fact that pat is like so protective and because he's lost his best friend because of all this and he's got this new daughter and he doesn't want to see her die especially because you know things went too you know quickly and he was looking out for her the whole time he didn't want her to get hurt like he knew sylvester wasn't her dad despite her thinking and all of us in the audience thinking because of the way things were going and because we had limited information that you know uh sylvester was her father pat knew and he kept telling her he's not even after she kept on bringing up all these reasons why she thought he was and again it was to protect her because he didn't want her to get this whole thought in her head that he was her father and to then find out that he wasn't or to do these dangerous things because she thought it was honoring her father when he really wasn't and all this kind of stuff and i love the fact that he built a mecca out of cars i just think that's great <laughs> i think that's like 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 it was a, it was first like i saw from the previews there was going to be a mecca and so that was already kind of like, whoa, this is like kind of like crazy comic booky. I kind of like it. But then to find out it's just made out of used cars. And there's like the guy at the junkyard who's always like, what are you building? You know? <laughs> like, what kind of crazy thing is going on here? I love that. I, I just think that it's great. I like support characters in general anyway. And he's a support character, but he's also a dad. He's also, you know, part of the team. And I just, I just really love that. So yeah, I think I'm going to go with Pat. I really love the conversation he had with, with, with her about when she was trying to help her friends do better mm. or like she was trying to protect them. He was like, yeah, it must be really frustrating. As <laughs> that little heart to heart <laughs> moment was great when she was complaining and she about was like, I reckless. see what you did there. <laughs> that was one of my favorite quotes of like that entire season. We, we like to pick little like scenes and quotes to play. And mm. that, that one was like hands down, I think my favorite of the whole season that moment i loved it yeah i mean i don't know how much pat is like the pat of the comics eric but like i really like pat i think that it's really great to have like this sort of like like are there is the family pretty much the same in the comics is it you know pat's the stepfather but you also had this relationship with the former star man and all that is that pretty much the same well yeah uh stripes he was part of the uh seven soldiers he he did have the connection to Starman. It was it was all there, and then becoming Stripe in the comic books is all there. He's comic book Pat is a little different than I mean he's not as great as his live action counterpart. No, oh, okay. my my favorite thing when it comes to Stripe is the fact that one of those cool production things I was mentioning there was a legitimate there was a legitimate um, practical Stripe's suit on set. Oh wow. That is cool. Yeah, they 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 built the I think it was like 
I don't even know how tall that is. Probably what nine, ten feet tall at least. Is, is, is it a suit or is it just a prop for him to go sit in? Does it actually move? There, I think there were at least two or three on set. I think one of them opened and closed. Uh, in and other scenes, they obviously had the CGI that in all of like Iron Man suit. But from what they've said, there was a fully practical suit. Obviously, it couldn't fly because that well, that's course. only in Japan with their Gundam right now. Um, <laughs> couldn't resist. You don't know they could have sourced the parts from Japan. You don't know. <laughs> And since we are talking about Pat, I have to, and you already got, you already got one, a super obscure reference. So I got to get another one in. Who would have figured that, um, that a Wilson of all people could out superhero dad, uh, Kurt Russell. Yeah, that's right. I brought up Sky High. (laughs) (laughs) I love Sky High. Don't talk smack about it. Oh, I wasn't. I was just saying who, who, who would have (laughs) thought? I uh, loved Luke Wilson as Pat. He did such a good job, and I loved the family dynamic. I loved all of them. I thought it was great. It was so weird to see a fairly young family and to have them like deal with their emotions. I'm sure, like nothing, nothing on television with superheroes has prepared me for this. Right? They didn't draw up the drama like every other CW show. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I really, I really like that. Um, so yeah, let's go one more round about characters though. So just since you started us off, let's uh, what, what's another character you'd like to talk about? Oh wow, I was super prepared with Icicle. So let's go with another villain that I love. We'll uh, go Henry Jr. I guess mm. he didn't end up turning out to be a villain. I, I was convinced he was gonna join the JSA for a minute there, mm. which. Probably, I mean, I have no idea. Eric can tell us if that's comic accurate or not. But the way they were building the character and what they were doing with him, by the end, I was like, I want, I want him to join Team JSA. Like, I am all in for this. And then they killed him, and I was heartbroken. Well, Beth kept getting upset, like as we were watching it, that he never explained to Yolanda that it was. What? It was Cindy. That was Cindy who sent that. I mean, yeah, he shouldn't have been showing his friends, which is how Cindy saw it in the first place. But, you know, but he wasn't the one who sent it to the whole school. Right. You know, and so, but I I kind of also feel like that actually made him a better person that he didn't try to weasel out of. He was obviously very upset you know about it like he he couldn't even talk to her about it but you get the fact that it wasn't like because he was just a, a bully that was happy with what he had done he he just he, he felt kind of embarrassed about it i felt and so i felt like that actually even made him a better person that he didn't try to weasel out of responsibility because he did show people you know he and did. even though he didn't send it to the school you know i i can sort i can sort of see why you might not try to just weasel out of it and be like, well, I didn't do it. Cindy did it. You know? I mean, it's, I don't know. But yeah, I wish she had found out in some way that it wasn't him that sent it, you know, even if he wasn't the one that said it because um, yeah. Cause I, I feel like she feels like he did it and that made her hate him to a degree that he didn't deserve. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, I, but I mean, I kind of agree with your assessment. I mean, he didn't try to like weasel out of it. Like that's kind of a really good way to put it. Like he didn't try to make excuses. And so I feel like that's more of a, of a credit to him. And I just, I loved his whole journey and I really enjoyed the actor. Like I thought he just knocked it out of the park with his performances. 
it was like kind of you know like watching neil jackson i mean like he was he was a treat to watch there now did you get fooled by the last episode when he just shows up and and did you think that was real oh god for a split second i was like yes (laughs) (laughs) i don't care how comic book science for the win (laughs) i knew what was going on i was like oh no that's brainwave he's he's messing with her yeah kudos to yolanda though for figuring that out when she slashed his throat i was like no oh (laughs) Mm -hmm. it took me a lot longer to get to the oh part though Mm. so well yeah like towards the end it's pretty (laughs) obvious because he's going like where are your friends like you know like tell me tell me where they are right now you know um so he he did kind of lay it on a little too thick um but it was still just it was so sudden Mm. and you were just like did that really just happen yeah yeah it was it It was was quite shocking Yeah. yeah um and she had more of a reaction, I think, to murdering somebody than Mike did. So, you know. She absolutely did. She's actually yeah. wrestling with it. Mike's just yeah. kind of like, whatever. Yeah. I don't think he real. I don't think he's well, fully realized what he did. Yeah, I, I, oh, I mean, in a way, I don't want them to like drag their show down with like angst, but at the same time, I feel like there should be something with Mike <laughs> because of that. <laughs> but um, all right. So, uh, Eric, what's another character? You know, I'll go. I'll go with the villain because I'm hoping somebody picks the uh, the other hero I would have went with. But uh, we'll go uh, Sportsmaster, who actually manages to outdo his uh, animated counterpart. Uh, I uh, well, God. are you talking about the the, the Young Justice Sportsmaster? Yeah, I'm talking about the Young Justice uh, one. Uh, he's pretty lame <laughs> in Young Justice, honestly. That's that's what I meant because yeah, I oh, meant God. it as a positive. All right, all right. All right. Sportsmaster and Tigress is like the world's worst like soccer mom type parents, you know, like, oh my god, that was so good. <laughs> you know, they like kill the coaches because they're not good enough. I think that was probably one of my favorite openings was when they're like showing them cycle through the coaches and they explain how many they've murdered. Right. You're gonna put her out in the field and you're not gonna worry about any of that. And you know, like, oh man, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, and, and, all right, I, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna take this away from you, Eric. I'm sorry. I was about to start gushing about stuff, but you, you keep going. <laughs> well, I, my headcanon is he definitely knew who Pat was the entire time and he was totally messing with him. And that kind of makes me love him even more because I don't think he's, I don't think he's a complete, like, airhead like certain other villains were trying to paint the two of them as like the fiddler she totally had that coming um <laughs> but i like i said i my head canon is that he absolutely knew who pat was the entire time and was just trying to find ways to mess with him before basically being the per- given the permission to flat out go after him I don't know. I'm not sure I like that better because, like, then he does seem dumb that he doesn't, like, go after, you know, them. Because then it becomes obvious who Stargirl must be and everything else. So, I mean, I don't know. It just... I did like their relationship, though. Every time they were on screen together, there was a scene cut completely from, uh, I think it was, like, episode five? Because I remember them talking about it. There was a scene where when pat is rushing to get into the uh, garage um he stops him in front of it and they have like this really tense conversation 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot what the full details were, but it sounded like it would have been a really fun and interesting scene and they shot it and everything but i guess they decided to just even from the dc universe version of the episode they cut it from completely yeah i mean their their relationship was fun the idea that he owns a gym you know sports master owns a gym and everything and he's like really big on getting everyone to eat right and whatever you know like i thought that that was really fun um but uh what i wanted to talk about was the fights because the choreography between him and Tigress and the way that they fought was beautiful. Like, literally beautiful to watch them fighting. Like, I, I was amazed at, like, how good those two were in the fight scenes. Um, I, I, I thought that it was phenomenal. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that that was, like, really cool because I had never seen fights that good in television. Yeah, the... The fun, the fight choreography was insanely awesome, and there are multiple episodes of um, of um, stunt actors react on uh, the corridor digital um, second channel that they actually go into some of the fights with uh, Yolanda's um, stunt uh, stunt actress, and I forget who stunt actor was but i think it, i think it was one of the guys that did stuff for Sportsmaster, and it, it was one of the other things i was going to bring up if we talked to talked more at length about yolanda but so when she got to do her her stunt, stunts herself before switching off with the stunt actress in the scenes where they're in the uh dragon king or dragon whatever his lizard king his lair um she accidentally made contact with the person she was fighting more than once. So the director pretty much went, yeah, we, we have to revoke your, uh, you're doing your own stunts. We gotta, we gotta bring in somebody. You can't, you can't be doing them anymore. That's funny. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, cause like, I didn't feel like any of the heroes fighting was like as as good as the as Sportsmaster and Tigress. They just look great. I mean, obviously Stargirl does the most as far as like motion and stuff with her fighting. Um, you know, because you know, our man's more of a brawler and you know. Um, but uh and 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 um Doctor Midnight doesn't do like the actual physical fighting. Um but I I don't know. I just felt like those two in particular are were very, very good. Um, I don't know, Beth, what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, when you were talking about how she made contact with people during fighting, wasn't there a scene where we thought, I think she actually just hit somebody? Might have been. I don't remember that. But uh, Was it that show or something else we were watching? I don't I, I don't remember, but I mean, it could it, well have been. It rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I really appreciated that side of it. <laughs> Uh, so Beth, what's another character you'd like to mention? I was actually going to say Yolanda next. Man, that was going to be mine, but all right, <laughs> you go. <laughs> I knew somebody would take her. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, her whole plight is, it was very emotionally based. And to see that, you know, she was trying to get past it, but her family would not let her. Mm-hmm. That, that was just so horrible. The lack of family support was really awful to watch. Yeah. It's like, it's, this has nothing to do with you as a family. It's what happened to her. It didn't happen to you guys. I don't care if you share the same last name. It doesn't work that way. 
Yeah, and, and how she, she took the role, role of Wildcat, and that boosted her confidence to, to just get over it and say, this is in the past, I'm looking towards the future as Wildcat. And she just made her situation better by doing that. Yeah. Well, you know, I called it, and you know I did, because I called it out loud when we watched the show, when Courtney first has to go to the quote-unquote loser's table, that I was like, by the end of the show, these are going to be the cool kids. And yeah. so I, I called that, but at the same time, I didn't understand exactly how that was going to happen. And I like the fact that, like, it's like all of them, you know, get end up inheriting the mantle of one of the heroes from the past. And then that, that like, helps to transform them you know, it, you know, uh, mentally as well by, and, and Yolanda, I think was the best example of that, of, you know, someone who, you know, had been a high achiever, had done all this stuff, but like it didn't amount to anything once, you know, it got branded basically. Um, and, and her allowing to like sort of create her own narrative by becoming Wildcat. And I like that. And everything other than that ridiculous, horrible mask was great about the oh, character. Oh God, her mask. <laughs> <laughs> that mask that mask i mean i get that they were going they, they had to do something for the mask because wildcat in the comics has a mask it is not flattering to her face the way they implemented it her face gained 50 pounds when she put the mask on yeah it looks like she's got these weird puffy cheeks and stuff and yeah it, it, every time she looks with that like you see her in that mask i just had to restrain some laughter <laughs> it's just not a good look <laughs> But oh well. Um, yeah, so any other thoughts on Wildcat? I'd be, I'm definitely curious to see just how things go for her in the second season, <laughs> especially with, you know, the, the choice she had to make in that moment. Though I'm sure, well, I don't know if they could have necessarily knocked him out and had the same results. Her quick, you know, her quick thinking was a major, like, I don't think she had really any time to have knocked him out instead of slitting his throat like she did right no i mean it's like it, she was definitely an immediate danger like i think she has more of a so it's funny she reacted more strongly to it than mike did but she has i think more of a position of you know uh, uh you know to say like she acted in a way that was the only way she could because he would have killed her if she didn't kill him in that moment whereas icicle you know, he was already on the ground hurting really bad, and then he gets, like, smashed with a truck, you know? I mean, it's one of those things where it's, like, that, I think, is a little bit harder to say, like, was it truly necessary? But, you know, okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think she's got some definite, like, defensibility in, in what she did, but whether internally she can, like, forgive herself for doing it is a, is a completely, um, you know, different matter. Uh, did you have anything else to say about Yolanda, Jess? Yeah, I mean, just on that scene, though, like, I, I definitely felt like she acted out of instinct, and that was really the only way they were going to take Brainwave down was that element of surprise because he was banking on the fact that she wouldn't... I don't know if he was banking on the fact that she wouldn't necessarily kill, but that she wouldn't kill Henry Jr., I think was kind of like what he was going for. So because Brainwave, that was the challenge with some of these villains. They were just so overpowered that while hokey in some ways, the only way that you were going to take them out was the element of surprise. And so I think what Yolanda did, while it's going to have significant repercussions for like, I think her mental stability, 
I think like that was the only way that they were going to get the upper hand on Brainwave as powerful as he was after, you know, he killed his son. But then like with Icicle, that almost felt like more hokey to me, you know, to have him be like, you know, doing all of the stuff, survives the fall from the clock tower, lands on the ground, and then Mike can, Mike just finishes him off with the truck. Like that's the, that was kind of the one that had issues with, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally very weird. And- out of left field um so yeah okay so the Olanda was the one i was going to talk about i got two ways to go here um oh i guess i will is he rick our man's son or no is rex isn't dad? dad rex is the dad okay i knew their names sounded very close since so i wanted to make sure that i got this right um i mean in a way he's a little tropish but i thought he was played very well i think that the actor did a really good job with it because he's legitimately in a really bad situation where he's got his uncle raising him who doesn't want to raise him but feels obligated because his sister put him into his care but let's never lets him forget the fact that he doesn't want like it's the opposite of the situation of pat and courtney where pat very much wants to take on the role of father with courtney you know and and this guy is very much like uh i i have to like put up with you and i have to live this life that i didn't want to live and all this stuff and he's constantly putting that baggage on rick so the fact that rick has an axe to grind completely makes sense you know like i i don't think that comes from like a cw place or whatever i mean this is kind of an abusive relationship but again i feel it's very real you know like this is something that actually happens in the real world and that is why certain young people act out because of this kind of home situation um and so it's kind of interesting then well what would you do when you have this kid who wants to lash out and you give him the power to have super strength, you know, what does he do? <laughs> you know, and, and again, I felt like that all felt very real too. Like, yeah, he's going to take a shot at his uncle's truck. You know, he's going to smash it because he can. Um, but again, like Courtney, and it goes back to why Courtney is such an interesting character. Um, oh, I guess I could have taken Courtney. I keep thinking Courtney's been taken already, but she wasn't. But it goes <laughs> back to why Courtney is such an interesting character is because it's just almost like this sort of boundless enthusiasm that she has, yet she doesn't get to the point of being like hard to take. You know, she's not annoying. Like in the way that, um, God, I really should have looked up everybody's name before I did this. Dr. Midnight's real name, the new Dr. Midnight. Beth. Beth. How could you forget that one? <laughs> I, I, I've got all the characters. <laughs> The way that Beth can get somewhat annoying, you know, like, like Courtney never gets annoying. You know, know, like she's, you know, but she also though is like optimistic and sort of has this sort of enthusiasm and everything. So like that, like, you know, learning about his dad partnered with, you know, Courtney's, you know, enthusiasm and, you know, sort of like desire to do right. um, You know, kind of turns him around. It takes time, you know, again, which, I think needed to happen for it to feel earned. But, you know, it kind of turns him around from just ending up being like, you know, I just hit things when I want to and now I can do it really well. Um, and, and I like that. And, I, and again, I thought the actor did a really good job. He's very charismatic and, and I really like that. So, um, I don't know, other thoughts about Rick? I forgot that name. I'm, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> I have a bad headache right now. I'm oh, sorry. sorry. 
Rick, I, Rick was definitely my third favorite. Oh God. I liked Rick. It, I, although at times I will say the anger got to be a little bit much because I mean, while I get it and I liked that they had that realism to it. I mean, he grew up in a very abusive relationship. And so of course, like that's how he's going to act. But I will say like drawing all of that out until the very end, almost of the finale did, did get to be a little grating at times. Cause you kind of just want to take him and shake him and be like, dude, no, like just, <laughs> No. <laughs> well, but at the same, I do feel like he was changing over the course of those episodes, even though you're right. I mean, he still had that anger. But again, I don't think, I mean, people need therapy for this kind of stuff. You know, oh, yeah. like, I mean, it's not like something that you can just like get rid of, you know. It's... Oh, no, I know. And so I appreciated the realism of it. But at times, just as a viewer, I did sometimes find like his visceral reactions could sometimes be a little grating. No, not in I every get it. case, but yeah. Yeah, but I I love the actor. I thought he did a great job with it overall. It was good. Eric, anything to add? Uh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So you got it in there with he was your third favorite. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't think we should go though before we talk about Courtney, which I just realized we haven't really talked about Courtney. Um. Does anyone want to talk it like to, to start off? Because I did mention a few things, but like you know, I can. Thoughts, and she's like, <laughs> All right. Yeah, Eric. Yeah. What? What do you? How do you feel about Courtney? The actress is awesome and very much in line with like a lot of these super, other superhero both shows and movies where we've seen. Do you know she's twenty one years old? The actress. I did know that. <laughs> I did. That's very much like teen dramas on the CW. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing, but yeah. But she looks young. I mean, she does legitimately look young. So I mean, that helps. She does, yeah. But no, I was going to say the actress, very similar to other big, big superhero, um, both movie and TV show um, actors and actresses, definitely like feels like she's very much in line with her character where she both understands and loves and and very much is the character in her own way, you know, just like Ryan Reynolds or, or uh, Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool or, you know, Hugh Jackman was Wolverine or, you know, like Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. And obviously you, um, uh, Brie Larson is Captain Marvel. You know, you have, you, she's one of these actresses that you can look at where it's like, she is the role that she's playing and you can tell that she loves every second of getting to play this role. It's, Another one of those cool little behind the scene things is because of Jeff's closeness with the character um, and, you know, it being very much his sister, he um, he actually gifted the actress, um, he gifted her one of the uh, cosmic rods from the set. She was on, uh, she was doing one of the Instagram live things and she showed everybody the uh the one that she has in her apartment who's and she was nerding out over the fact she's like jeff gave this to me and you know he she you could tell like she was legitimately like tearing up at the fact that she's like it's so awesome and you know like i keep it i keep it within eye distance pretty much it was it was a cute cute little interview she was doing to promote the season finale yeah, um, I mean, yeah, she definitely seems enthusiastic about it because she posts a lot of videos and pictures and things. Like, I've seen those, even though I'm not on, like, any particular feed of hers, I see them shared all over the place. And, yeah, I mean, she's she definitely does a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, like, sort of 
uh, what's the word like? Yeah, promoting. Yeah, promoting the show. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Yeah, she's like super active, and I I thought she did an amazing job. Like I was just incredibly impressed with her all the way around throughout the entire season, the way that she portrayed Courtney, and. I mean, I loved everything she did with it, and I I liked Courtney. She was she was earnest without being too like cheesy, campy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I I really liked the way that she portrayed it. Um, I mean, I'm I'm not like the biggest Supergirl fan because I'm not the biggest fan of Melissa's portrayal, I guess, of, yeah. of that character. Whereas I feel like Breck has really kind of embraced and embodied like Courtney Whitmore in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I watch Supergirl, but I mean, I get what you're talking about with that, too, because I do feel like Supergirl has a... Supergirl doesn't feel as authentic to me. No, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Um, Beth? You're good with words. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> when I've had enough sleep, you know, this is just random. <laughs> Right now, if I get a good word out, it's random. But anyway, Beth. <laughs> Everything I was going to say has been covered. Oh, okay. Fair honestly. enough. And the other person I feel like we just have to talk about, we got to talk about Cindy. So um, anybody who wants to start off with Cindy, should, should I do it? <laughs> but, 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 but. She plays it really well. But, oh. <laughs> I mean, she uh, is the mean girl. Yes. But she's. She's delightfully the mean girl. Yes. She 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 owns it and enjoys it. And I like that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, she's not definitely not my favorite character. I would have mentioned her in any of the, you know, previous ones, but like, you know, she's I don't know how to I mean, she, she I think she's also doing a very good job portraying a character. I think that the actress is fairly charismatic and you get this idea of this girl. I mean, like, I think that the the later episodes sort of help out with understanding her character as well, because you have this girl who apparently killed her own mother, although they never outright say it, but you get the idea that she killed her mother. Her dad has just sort of locked her away, like, not physically, but, like, in, in, in you know, any any practical way, where she's completely watched over and is completely like shuttered from doing anything of any importance or whatever and all that she wants to do is be noticed that's what she wants she wants acknowledgement she wants to be noticed and this has created this whole personality of someone who just has to be like she you know she has to be the most popular girl in school she's got to be this she's got to be that and whatever means necessary she'll achieve because she already killed her mother when she was a little kid because what was it, did they say it was after kindergarten that she changed? Which means, you know, it was while she was like five or six, she murdered her mother. It was, it was definitely elementary school. I don't know. I don't remember if it was kindergarten or like, like fourth grade. But yeah, it was, she was young. Yeah. Didn't they hint that it was an accident though? Well, no, no, no. I think it was an accident. But she still did it. But she still did it. Because he said, like, didn't you learn it? Like, her dad said, like, didn't you learn anything from your, like, mistake with your mother or whatever? And so, yeah. And I thought for sure Beth said it was after kindergarten that she changed. But, um, but yeah, so, like, she, uh, I can remember those things. I can't remember names. But, <laughs> you know, so she's had to internalize this all this time, has to come to grips with the fact that if she could kill her mother, 
then then what's like ruining somebody's reputation and what's this and what's that like so she because of the neglect that's been like instilled within her you know feels like like she's lacking like sort of like the moral like like just like underpinning to be able to make good decisions well that and she's the only one that was raised as like knowing who her dad was and knowing about the ISA, like she was truly raised by a villain as a villain, like from the villain perspective. Whereas I think we get more conflicted with people like Icicle and the magician because, or the wizard, the magician, anyway, um, (laughs) because they were actually raising their kids to be good people and weren't kind of like ingraining them into this culture. Whereas like Cindy has been indoctrinated with it forever. Like, you know, for as long as she can remember. I mean, she, that's what she was vying for was a seat at the table. I mean, like down to her graduation present was her super villain costume. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But see, that's the thing. I get the impression that dad wasn't indoctrinating her. I get the impression that dad, like she knew what her dad was doing, but he was never there. Like, it was just like, I work in the lab. I'll, I'll capture some woman to be your stepmother, you know, and, and that's, you know, so you'll be taken care of, but that's it. You know, like that almost felt like the relationship and she wanted dad to notice her. Like, you know, that's why she kept talking about, like, I don't think it was about, I want to be a villain. It was about, I want to be acknowledged. Yeah, no, and I agree. And I think, I think in her later teen years, I think that was kind of when he was focusing on like building the machine, because I think he'd been building that like brainwashing machine for many years. And so I think when like he was trying to focus more on that, that's more when he put the stepmom in place and kind of like pushed her away and pushed her to his own devices. But I very much got the impression that when she was younger, he was actively training her and bringing her up to be a member, if not of the ISA, at least, you know, like, you know, a more villainous person, like, in nature, like, to be, like, a supervillain, basically. I mean, that, I mean, the, the costume, the, the everything, I mean, she was trained very well, she knew everything about the ISA, enough to want a seat at the table, enough to, like, prove herself to her father that she deserved a seat at that table, like, you know what I mean? Mm. But but still, like so so this is what I'm saying though. She's deeper than most mean girl characters you get in fiction. Who are mean just because they want attention. I mean, and I can't see that kind of does kind of boil down to that, but there's a lot of reasons for that in this. There's a lot of background and thought and depth to why she is the way that she is. So I feel like that was done better than you know it usually is done. And I think the actress like nailed it. Oh, yeah. I love the actress. I thought she did a fantastic job. Um, the cast all around was, was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, I didn't look up all their ages. I only really looked up um, um, Breck Bassinger, but, um, you know, I, I'm assuming they're all really older than what they're playing, but I mean, like, still, like, for young, for, for a fairly young cast, I feel like they did, you know, very well. Yeah. No, I think so too. I, I think they are all fairly young, but and I, I mean, I think the actor that plays Mike is probably the youngest by far. I think he's like only thirteen or fourteen, but um, but yeah, no, I, I thought for a young cast uh, for 
really a lot of unknowns aside from like the the bigger actors that the adult actors um because a lot of them are were extremely well known but i love it a phenomenal job i mean i i was extremely pleasantly surprised with it all the way around it like it really won me over i, I thought it was great i loved it yeah um all right, so thoughts for season two. Anything you want to see or anything, you know, you think is coming? Um, Beth, we'll start with you. I want to know what's up with that pen. <laughs> and why it giggles. <laughs> Wikipedia is a thing. I don't want Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I've already looked it up on Wikipedia. Because that's spoilers. Uh, well, don't <laughs> listen to me then. No. <laughs> yeah. So, but yes, yes, that was the weirdest thing about the whole series was because I, I had the same reaction. What in the world is that pen? Why does uh, it giggle? Right, exactly. The giggling is terrifying. It's called the Thunderbolt, he said, and that's all we get on it. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no. So that's can why I, I tell her with that, without no. going oh. any further into detail? No, she doesn't. She doesn't want to know. Silence. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I don't uh, think she heard the little bit that I said, which is probably for the better. <laughs> all right, is, is that is that all Beth? You just want them to explain it? The pen? I'll leave other things to others. Okay. That's my major contribution to this podcast. Okay. With the pen. All right. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh Jess, what would you like to see in season two? Oh man. I I, I there's a lot of things that I feel like I want to see, but brainwave jr somehow miraculously survives <laughs> yes brainwave jr survives icicle survives no i'm just kidding i i mean i i think one of my like favorite sleeper theories is that I, icicle really isn't isn't dead that you know they kind of like cubed him if you will but that, uh, <laughs> he'll find a, he'll find a way to regenerate in some way shape or form hey Iceman's done it in the comic books so why can't another ice based uh See? character do it <laughs> See? exactly comic book science y'all let's let's just go with it but uh, um i think i think i'm looking forward to seeing the jsa actually like come together and work as a as a team i, I would like to see them build that out and flesh that out in a more real way we got a hint of it in the finale but that was the first time they really came together so that's what i really want to see okay Eric? i was thinking along the same thing which is why i didn't want to say it because i knew other people would okay so my first one is technically connected to the end of the season because so slight slight backstory on this one i am a huge fan of james robinson's entire starman run um he was one of the lead creative voices throughout the show and you can tell very easily by the very second um at the very end of the show you see a uh, stovetop hat flying into the scene and you see it land in the hand of a gentleman with his back turned towards the screen mm. calling Icicle a fool. And mm. that was none other than the shade. Mm. Yes. Casting shade on Icicle. <laughs> and yeah. the shade is quite possibly one of the coolest villains in any form of superhero storytelling, in my opinion, because he's not actually a villain so much as he's a man with a very specific moral code that is heavily explored in the Starman's Starman omnibuses throughout that whole 80 plus issue run of a very late 90s early 2000s series that highly recommend anybody look it up because it is fantastic especially if you're interested in the Starman Stargirl mythology because 
Jack is literally the guy who gives Courtney the cosmic rod inside of the comic books and was one of the founding members of the early early 2000s uh, Justice Society. But um, I would I am very excited to see more of the shade and I would love to see Jade because I really do think that if they're not bringing in any form of Alan, I think it would be great to bring in his daughter um, because Jade is awesome. And I would also really, really like to see them bring in um, Starman's um, apprentice. Uh, those of us who read the comics know him as Sand or Sandy, <laughs> as some some people like to give him crap for. And if you think Rick, if you think Rick is angsty, um, yeah, Sand, if they go with a certain origin, was kind of trapped in like in basic living statue form for like several decades so he has a little bit of an axe to grind from his mentor for thinking he left them there to kind of suffer even though he was trying to find a cure but that's a whole another story that i kind of like i said hope they go get into with a some new members of the justice society i think it would be great to kind of flesh out the team not too big but add, add at least two or three members which may or may not be connected to that pin pen <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I feel like there's a lot of things that I want to see. Um, definitely the school situation, because I mean, like, how do they get by at this point? I mean, several of the villains survived, even though more died than I would have wanted. You know, uh, Cindy's still alive. You know, how, how are they going to get by without everyone just knowing who they are, you know, in a very quick, you know, span of time? Um, I definitely do want to see uh, more of those items get passed out to new people because I think the whole legacy idea is like one of the things that really uh, they hang their hat on. Um, I, oh, I meant to I meant to ask, and I totally forgot during the episode. Like Eric, do you know what's up with the Sylvester showing up at the end? Is that legit? Do you think, or is that like is that like some sort of imposter or something? I'm not 100% sure myself, but I knew the fact that you get Joel McHale, he's not just going to show up for 10 minutes on the first right? episode and not show up again. Oh, yeah, You don't get that... an actor of that caliber and just use him for like a short cameo. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Because I'm, I'm not sure. That was my thought. Because I had the this whole, the whole time, like during, like for a while, I was convinced, you know, that Starman really was like Courtney's dad and that we were going to see more of him. And then we didn't and we didn't. I was like, okay, fine. He's not her dad. Okay, fine. He's not coming back. I'm like, really? How do they cast Joel McHale for a bit part? Like, really? He's going to agree to that? And then we get the ending. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if this, if if it really is Sylvester, if he's kind of kind of turned out to be cowardly at the end of his like it, you know and basically ran ran away when crap hit the fan he like got away somehow like it wouldn't surprise me um yeah so i'm sorry about that little tangent i was just kind of curious because i was reminded of that because of the other thing that i wanted to talk about um and also the other tangent i want to go on just for a second is that we didn't mention when we mentioned courtney about the whole idea of coming to terms of what her father was really like her actual biological father to actually get a chance to meet him when she's old enough to really understand and to even have you know him like be like 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 you know skis his own daughter out of like the 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 like the object that she cares about the most so he can go hawk it somewhere oh that was so heartbreaking 
and she knew and that was the thing like she knew like because she when she went in she cried like it wasn't like he fooled her into thinking i'm gonna come back and and you know gonna have this money and everything like she knew exactly what was gonna happen that she was never gonna see him again and he was just he was just there for that and not for her and you know that that was that was heartbreaking and again it didn't turn into like a five episode angst fest but she dealt with it and she was upset about it and pat comforted her which again was i think another really good way of showing their relationship and how that had changed and even for pat to show up and basically tell him you know like you know go away <laughs> you know <laughs> oh that punch oh my gosh i loved it it's like yes <laughs> right get him <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the final thing, though, that I want to see, that I really want to get, is I want to get more context for this world, because it almost seems like the, the, you know, the Injustice Society was basically like, oh, we killed the JSA, and so now we're good. So it almost seems like that's it as far as superheroes, except we know there are more because the, you know, like Justin and stuff like that. So I'm kind of curious, like, are all the other ones retired at this point, except for these new kids? Are there other superheroes around? Like, what is it like out in the rest of the world as far as like meta powers, superhumans and all that kind of stuff? So I really want to get more of a sense of what this world is like you know, is there a is there a Justice League in this world somewhere? And if so, why weren't the villains worried about that? You know, like all that kind of stuff, you know, I kind of want to just sort of understand better. Because and also nobody seems surprised about superheroes just suddenly appearing, though. And so then it's like, okay, you know, like, so are there other ones elsewhere? Like, I don't know. So I, I want to get all that kind of context uh, because I don't feel like we kind of understand, like, you know, how, like, what kind of a world we're operating in quite yet. But, I feel like her classmates should have some kind of response when she goes back to school about, hey, I saw this flying girl in the sky blowing up a giant satellite that just right. happened to be underneath our football field. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like they should all start sporting t-shirts, like, yeah, we love Stargirl, woo! Yeah. Or whatever. Or, or the thing I've always wanted to see that you never see, I mean, I say never, but almost never see, is like people suing the superhero for all the damages that they cause. Incredibles. <laughs> the Incredibles. Yeah. I think, I think we've covered Stargirl pretty well. Um, I mean, there's way more we could talk about, but then we'd be here forever. I mean, we didn't cover all the characters, of course, and, you know, there's still more interesting stuff that happened, but uh, we'd be here all day. Uh, you'd almost need a whole uh, a whole dedicated podcast talking about it. Almost. <laughs> so um, let's say your goodbyes um, and uh, let people know where they can find you online. If there's anything more you want to shout out about very quickly about Stargirl, you could do that here. Um, so uh, let's start with you, Eric. All right. So you can find me, internets, uh, via just very simply Eric Radcliffe on Twitter. Um not like Harry Potter. I mean, not like Daniel Radcliffe. It's R-A-T-C-L-I-F-F-E. I mean, not very different, but different. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. It's just eRiddler87. Um, you can find newcomicday.net, uh, which leads you to the Facebook that has a majority of, I'm still catching up, uh, um, a majority of my awesome webcomic Um I'm catching up on lettering 
still about like 30 strips left to letter from the uh, backlog when I lost uh, to an old computer. And why I love comics, you can definitely find on iTunes and Stitcher and the RSS feed if you if you just search love Com- like why I love comics you should be why I love comics podcast you should very easily find it and I don't know Nate that's all my stuff right I'm not forgetting anything <laughs> I don't think so but you should know better than I do <laughs> I know I forget I forget half of the stuff I do I do I mean, too much thing, you're a too regular much contributor things. to the 42 cast but if somebody and puts into this then <laughs> And they know to come here. Um, What's the 42 cast? Right. <laughs> Why, it's the ultimate answer to. <laughs> you forgot my. Ca- okay, I was about to say. You... <laughs> I was being sarc. <laughs> no, no, I was talking to her about she forgot the oh, tagline. Okay. <laughs> I, I had to glance down at my shirt. I apologize. Yes, I am wearing official 42 ga- cast swag. She I, is. Yeah. <laughs> she is. Which you can buy at Key Public. Hey. All right, anyway. Um, <laughs> All right, uh, Jess, uh, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Oh, yeah. So you can find me talking about all things Legends of Tomorrow and Stargirl on the Tomorrow's Legends podcast. You can find us pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, Our website is tomorrowslegends.libsyn.com. Uh, we've got, you know, we're on Facebook and Twitter, so you can uh, you kind of search for us and find us there if you want. And, you know, if you're looking to go more in depth, you can follow along with, uh, with what we did with the season one, which was two people without a comic book background coming at Stargirl, not knowing what to expect. And it was pretty great. So. Awesome. And uh, Beth, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Uh, goodbye, Internet. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Etsy.com. The store name is Mrs. Whiskers Studios. That's two S's back to back because I have a complete lack of forethought. Um, same name on Facebook. And um, everyone out there, be safe and don't lick doorknobs. <laughs> All right. Well, Beth, <laughs> Eric, and Jess, thank you so much for being on the episode today. Oh, yes. And that's a wrap on our Stargirl episode. But we want to know what you thought of it, so let us know. And you can do that in a variety of ways. First, you can email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can go to our website, 42cast.com, and leave us feedback on any of the episodes. You can go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can tweet to us at 42cast. And you can also now comment on our posts on Instagram, which is also at 42cast. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. With Apple Podcasts, your reviews help with promoting the show because the more reviews we get, the more likely we are to show up in searches. So definitely would appreciate if you would take the time to do that if you have an Apple account and would like to rate the show. Another thing that I'd like to mention is the ESO Patreon. That's a way for you to contribute a little money to help all the shows on the network. You can find that at patreon.com slash ESO network. There are different tiers there, which give you different rewards, such as early releases of episodes. There's a whole exclusive podcast that you get access to. Some of the shows have exclusive episodes that you can't hear anywhere except by being a Patreon patron. So please check that out. And if you've got some money to contribute, we'd definitely appreciate it. Also, I want to make sure and mention Time Streams. That's my other podcast where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning, 
we talk about the episode, we comment on it, we bring in whatever outside material that we have to discuss the show. I've seen all those Doctor Who episodes many, many times. Juliet's never seen them before. And so it's really fun having the two of us talk. And the other great thing is, while it does definitely enhance the experience if you watch along with us, you don't have to. So I know a lot of people, especially since we're in the very early black and white ones, are like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to watch something in black and white. It's too slow for me, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You can check out the podcast. We describe everything that happens in the episode or everything important that happens in the episode. So you don't even need to watch the episode. And so if you just enjoy listening to us talk about the show, uh, bringing up, you know, uh, different things we liked about it, didn't like, talking about the themes and stuff like that, it would sort of give you some information about those episodes of Doctor Who. But yeah, you don't have to watch. The other thing I want to mention is, like I announced last time, the Legendary Forces podcast is coming. Hopefully by the time that this is posted, we will be very close to posting our first episode. So if you're into Star Wars, if you uh, want to know what the media was like back in the day, and even though it's not quote-unquote canon, is it worth checking out? You know, check out that show. I mean, and also, we got a lot of fun personalities on that show, so hope you enjoy listening to it and the format is definitely because there are so many of us and because we do need to review a lot of media the show will definitely be a lot briefer than an episode of the 42 cast so that's all good to say right now we're trying to get down to an hour an episode while some select episodes may go a little longer than an hour we're gonna have a hard stop at 90 minutes that is our guarantee there won't be a single episode that goes beyond 90 minutes and most of them will be an hour so hopefully those of you who are listening to this uh, sounds interesting to you so please give that a try uh, check it out and hope to see you there as i've mentioned many times over the last year the whole con situation is really up in flux i can't report anything yet other than that i technically am going to chicago tardis because our tickets for last year rolled over into this year I suspect that with vaccinations coming out and being prevalent that there will still be an in-person Chicago TARDIS and things should be safe enough that I feel safe enough to go. But I will definitely keep all of you posted on the details on that as well. But if you've seen me at Chicago TARDIS before, if you're going to Chicago TARDIS, you can almost certainly expect to see me there this year. But that's a wrap for this episode. Join us back next week when John Boyega will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping at the Tee Public Store, 
which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.